Hello, my friends, and welcome to this week's New World Kirtan podcast. It's Tuesday, February 24th, 2015. I'm Kitsy Stern, and our show is produced as an act of love and service to the worldwide Kirtan community. It's also an audio journal of my spiritual journey through the practice of singing and playing Kirtan. When Ian Basio and I recorded this interview on Kali last month, little did I know I was about to have an up-close and personal experience with her energy. With this back spasm, I think I just came face-to-face with Kali, and she opened up the boxes deep in my subconscious Ian talks about in the interview. I'm mostly back to normal now. There's a lot of residual tension and muscle pain on my right side, which was essentially clamped down for almost a month. In the end, I came to see it was all about resistance and my fear of surrender. I also saw what I had been resisting, which is surrendering to this path of bhakti yoga and where it's taking me. I came to see it was all about my ego's need to stop me because it feared Kali's sword. At the beginning of the interview, I say I'm a bit afraid of Kali, but I'm not anymore. I bless her and the gifts she brought, too numerous to mention. The Abhaya Mudra has an all-new meaning for me. There is nothing to fear. Embrace Kali. She'll slay your demons, and you'll be better for it. Toward the end of the interview, we talk about Chantlanta. And I'm getting really psyched about going. Oh, it's just what I need right now. We did the live stream test this weekend, and we'll be audio and video streaming the festival from the homepage of the New World Kirtan website. Come join us online and listen to some of these great kirtan bands. Oh, my goodness. We'll be there March 6th through the 8th, and Hudost is headlining. Blue Spirit Wheel goes on at 4. Um, go to Chantlanta's website and check out the schedule, really. It's going to be a great event. So the spasm is over, but not the learning. When I get back from Chantlanta, I'll post a podcast for divine healing with lots of resources that help me through it. One morning at 4 a.m. when I couldn't sleep, I happened on this. It has been a favorite of mine for years, and it comes from the Hopi elders. This spoke so strongly to me that morning about where I was. Perhaps it will speak to you also. There is a river flowing now very fast. It is so great and swift that there are those who will be afraid. They will try to hold on to the shore. They will feel they are torn apart and will suffer greatly. Know the river has its destination. The elders say we must let go of the shore, push off into the middle of the river, keep our eyes open and our heads above the water. And I say, see who is in there with you and celebrate. At this time in history, we are to take nothing personally, least of all ourselves. For the moment that we do, our spiritual journey and growth comes to a halt. The time for the lone wolf is over. Gather yourselves. Banish the word struggle from your attitude and your vocabulary. All that we do now must be done in a sacred manner and in celebration. We are the ones we've been waiting for. Namaste, dear ones. Okay, well, today I am here with Ian Basio once again, and uh, we're going to be exploring the energy of Kali. Welcome, Ian. Welcome back. Hi, Kitsy. It feels great to be back. 
oh, it seems like we just did this just like yesterday because I just finished editing Shiva, but we did that like before Christmas. So now it's after Christmas and and uh, we're back. It's we're a whole back. new year. It's a whole new year. It's going to be a great one too. Mm-hmm. So this energy of Kali is um, really interesting. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. She's completely different. After I started researching a little bit, it turned out that she's completely different from the conception that I, well, there are lots of different interpretations of her energy, but she's really different than I had thought she was. So I'm really uh, looking forward to hearing your take on this and, and, uh, and finding out your, what you think about Kali. Well, so Kali is, let's, let's remember, um, I think going all the way back to the very first interview that we did in this series to kind of introduce uh, the, the introduction that we did. Um, so one of the things I was talking about back then was uh, I talked a little bit about Divine Mother, this uh, field of energy and consciousness that is infinite in scale and uh, um represents the sum total of everything that exists. And so we we talk about this energy field as being Shakti uh, or Divine Mother, um, which is sort of the great goddess in her infinite and, and uh, amazingly vast form. Now, uh, what happens here is that uh, this energy of Divine Mother in her infinite form is so vast beyond comprehension because remember that we are currently existing in a state of limited consciousness and uh, uh, anything that is limited is by its nature unable to conceive of anything that is infinite. So it makes it very difficult for us to relate to Divine Mother um, in her fullness because, because of her infinite nature is so far beyond the possibility of our limited consciousness to comprehend. Hmm. So what Divine Mother does in her compassion, because compassion is one of Divine Mother's great qualities, um, you know, we talk about Divine Mother in the sense of like that she is the mother of all things. So we are all her children and and she treats us as such. You know, she wants us to grow and um, to be happy and and to to move forward in our lives and to do what we need to do. Um, so what one of the things that Divine Mother does uh, out of her compassion for us, her children, is that she sort of compartmentalizes herself into uh, what I what I like to call these sort of packets of goddess energy that are more limited in scope than her her full infinite form. And because they're more limited, it makes it easier for us uh, in, in our own limited state to to uh, comprehend uh, and and to develop a personal relationship with her. And so we call these uh, sort of packages of goddess energy, uh, we call them manifestations, goddess manifestations or manifestations of divine mother. And Kali is one of these manifestations. So I believe that we will, uh, you know, later on we'll be talking about other manifestations uh, like Lakshmi and Sarasvati and, and, and other goddesses that are well known who are all, uh, you know, kind of subdivisions of Mahadevi or, or the great goddess, the infinite divine mother. Um, so it's always important to understand that when one is approaching any goddess, one is actually 
always approaching all goddesses simultaneously because they're all part of Divine Mother, um, just like everything else is. Hmm. Uh, and but in this case, in a very direct kind of a way. So it's it's kind of one of the things that it's it's uh, uh, it's said that as you delve deeply into the uh, the sadhana or the spiritual practices for any one particular goddess, you uncover all of the other goddesses within that practice. Um, so so Kali is one of those goddesses that, uh, you know, you might try to avoid her for a while, but you're going to you're going to meet her eventually anyways. Um, and, and there's and there's not really anything you can do about that. So so Kali is one of these manifestations of Divine Mother that exists in a form that we are able to kind of, to some extent, wrap our, our minds around. Um, there are a number of these goddess manifestations that are thought to be uh, particularly expanded or, or particularly um, uh, vast in their scale, uh, that, that they are goddesses who exist on a, on a truly cosmic scale. And, and Kali is one of these goddesses, um, you know, so, so uh, vast in the implications of this energy that, that oftentimes she's related directly to this, this infinite form of Divine Mother, and, and they're thought to be somewhat identical, although you can tell that they're not because we can actually give Kali a name and, and an image and perceive of her in some form, uh, where, whereas Divine Mother is beyond all of those things. So within these goddess manifestations, we can kind of in a very loose, uh, in a very loose sort of way, and I'm making a huge generalization here, but, but it's useful nonetheless, we can kind of divide the goddesses up into three different categories. So uh, on the one hand, you've got uh, your abundance goddesses or fertility goddesses, and these are the goddesses like Lakshmi who kind of rule this cosmic energy of of uh, prosperity and and uh, fertility and things growing and expanding and multiplying. Um, the second category is wisdom goddesses like Sarasvati and Tara and the various other wisdom goddesses whose uh, energy is designed to um, uh, instill knowledge um, and understanding and wisdom in in the person who who practices. Uh, with the eventual goal of, of uh, attaining the ultimate knowledge, which is your true self. <laughs> and, and then finally, the third category are the warrior goddesses. So, so this is Durga, Chamunda, um, uh, many others, and, and including in this category, the goddess Kali. So the purpose of the warrior goddesses is, as the, as the, uh, uh, the name suggests, is to battle it out. Um, ultimately. So this is where we see the idea that in, in many ways, our spiritual path uh, is like a battlefield. And uh, we are constantly beset uh, and, and under assault from, from uh, forces outside of ourselves and within ourselves that are eager to keep us held into a small state of limited consciousness. So these are forces of, um, of what's called the ego. So the ego is a part of your mind, uh, a, a function of your mind that uh, defines itself 
as I, me, mine, right? So it's the part of your it's the part of your mind at which by which you identify yourself as being separate from others, uh, from other people and other things, right? So the the ego is that part of your mind that that says I am this, I am that, I am not this, I am not that, right? Um, it's the it's the part of your mind that makes those distinctions, and uh, what people typically suffer from. Uh, in in the the standard kind of life that we lead is that their ego, this I me mine part of their of their brain, is the mental function which is actually in control of their lives, uh, and, and so so people go about their lives essentially being controlled by this inner sense of separateness uh, and, and and limited consciousness. And so they think uh, very much of themselves as being these separate entities. And, uh, you know, that's where you get into this sort of I own this or uh, that belongs to me. Uh, and uh, and and this this idea that I am not the same as you. And so therefore, maybe I am better than you. Uh, and you can kind of see how this, you know, oftentimes can start to lead to some unfortunate uh, uh, conclusions. Mm. So, uh, you know, the, the, the idea is that, and, and one of the important things to really important things to understand about this as it relates to yoga practice is that the ego in and of itself is not, uh, inherently an evil thing, uh, or, or a bad thing. And in fact, your ego is a function of your mind that is very, uh, important, uh, for your day-to-day -day functioning. Y your ability to uh, maintain a sense of self um, is very useful, even even in your spiritual practice up to a certain point. Uh, you know, there is a certain point at which you lose your ego, uh, and, and, and there's a certain point in your spiritual practice where you can't proceed unless you have relinquished your ego entirely. Um, but for the lives that most of us are living as householders, the ego is a necessary thing. Uh, you need to have that sense of self or you get lost in other people uh, all the time. And, and, and that's not necessarily a hope, uh, helpful state to be in. Um, the problem occurs when the ego is controlling you. So what we are, what we're trying to do in our spiritual practice is not to destroy the ego necessarily, but to put the ego in its proper place where the ego is not you know, that aspect of yourself that you use to define who you are, but the ego is really only a tool that you are using simply to maintain your existence uh, on the material plane. Um, and that you're actually identify your sense of self with uh, uh, your infinite consciousness, which is beyond all concepts of I, me, and mine, right? That's who you truly are. Your ego tries to convince you that no, you're you're something else, right? You're you're uh, a human being. You're a, a, a male or female. Your skin is a certain color. Uh, you have long hair or short hair. Um, you work at a certain uh, particular job. Um, other other things of that nature. You know, these are all things that that are used to limit you, in in one way or another. Um, so so this is. This is where this is what the practice is to an extent is is 
an acknowledgement that one's ego is kind of raging out of control all the time. Uh, that's more obvious in some people than others. Um, but it is happening for all of us. And, and, that the, and that the practices are designed to bring everything back into its proper functioning place where the ego serves as a tool that your, uh, that your soul uses in order to manage this state of being incarnated in a physical body. Now, this is where the warrior goddesses come in. So the warrior goddesses, their purpose is to uh, essentially go to battle on behalf of your infinite consciousness, your infinite soul, uh, against the limiting forces of your ego. And you see this played out in the mythology uh, over and over again. So the, in the mythologies from India, what you have is you have these characters who are called asuras, which kind of loosely, uh, very loosely translates uh, into the English word demon. And the demons tend to sort of represent these overblown uh, uh, personifications of different ego qualities, which is to say different qualities of your personality that tend to uh, reinforce your limited consciousness identity. So, uh, you know, the, the asuras will, will be these sort of uh, uh, wildly uh, uh, cinematic uh, uh, people who are ruled by uh, greed or jealousy or uh, desire for power over other people or desire for violence for its own sake or, or a desire to create fear in others. Um, and in the mythologies, what oftentimes happens is that for one reason or another, um, uh, the gods who are, who, are, who are supposed to be kind of running things in the universe... Um, are uh, 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 in, in some way overturned or defeated by these egoic demons. And um, the, the, the demons take over the universe, and then everything starts kind of falling into chaos, and, uh, and, and you know, everything just starts going, going kind of crazy. Um, and so at, at times like this, what the typical strategy for for the various gods, Vishnu and Shiva and, and all of them, what what their what their typical uh, 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 recourse seems to be is they call upon Divine Mother to save them, <laughs> and uh, and so uh, because she's very passionate, you know, how many times this happens, uh, uh -huh. she's still willing to come in and 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 save the day, and so the the typically the way that she does this is she incarnates as uh, as one of these warrior goddesses. She manifests as a warrior goddess. And then the warrior goddess goes into battle um, against the various demons of the ego. Um, and as far as I know, there's not a single story of her, you know, losing one of those battles. So it's a fairly sure thing uh, uh, when it happens, because, of course, Divine Mother is representing infinite consciousness. And even though these warrior goddesses may... Uh, present sort of a limited uh, uh, identity, um, the important thing to understand is that each one of them uh, contains Divine Mother in her totality in a very uh, close kind of a form. Hmm. So, and it's, it's important to grasp 
the idea that the demons are things that we may perceive as being external to ourselves. And it's also maybe uh, things that we see as being internal to, to our existence, which means that the demons live inside of us. And, and they're parts of our own personality that, that are getting out of control and are creating serious problems for us. Um, I found that one of the ways that you can think about this idea of these inner demons or these asuras, these, uh, these uh, uh, egoic forces that kind of take over our, our uh, personality and, and our lives at certain times, I think that, you know, one of the things that humans are really, really good at, you know, as, as human beings, we're good at a whole lot of things. We're, we're good at lots of doing lots of different things, uh, very skilled in many ways. But one of the things that we're better at almost than anything else that we do is that we're really, really good at hiding things from ourselves. Mm. And we do this all of the time because there's just a lot of stuff that happens in life that we just can't deal with for whatever reason at the time that it happens. And, and so all it is is that you just are pretending that the problem has gone away when, in fact, it's affecting you just as much as if it was right in the forefront of your consciousness. You're just not able to see it anymore. You're not able to see these past traumatic experiences as, uh, as being the cause, the root cause for problems that you're having in your life. And, and occasionally these things will come up uh, consciously enough that you'll start to see, you know, repeating destructive patterns that are occurring in your life and, and you're, you, you know, you become mystified by them and you think like, my God, why am I, why do I keep doing this mm -hmm. over and over again? You know, have you ever had that experience? Mm -hmm. uh, and it's because there's some, there's something that you've hidden away from yourself and, and you're, and you're not aware of what it is. So this is one of the, the primary functions of, of warrior goddess energy is to open up the boxes and let those things out so that you can deal with them. Uh, and, and Kali in particular is, is the one who will just dive deep down inside of you and just start opening up the boxes that are in, that she finds in there and, and, uh, and, and letting the demons out essentially. And this is where it becomes sort of this really, uh, uh, can be a, a difficult experience to do. I mean, when I'm doing spiritual practices with people, um, I never just spring a Kali mantra on people by surprise. You know, uh, that's something that you need to sign up for intentionally um, to say that you're going to work on one of these sadhanas that's going to really get deep down into your personality um, and and discover what's hiding down there in the dark corners. Well, well, you yeah. know, when when you look when you look at pictures of her, right, mm -hmm. and she's got the skulls and the dismembered arms and everything, and mm -hmm. you know, you think that she's this, um, you know, that she represents death, and and you know, if you can look at it, like I read one interpretation that said that the 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 skulls and the dismembered arms represent. Um, the death of the ego because mm -hmm. the ego rises out of identification with the body. So, yeah. um, she's got this horrible sort of, you know, I mean, she's associated with all kinds of terrible things, but they're not necessarily all that terrible if they 
can actually lead to you having a breakthrough, right? That it allows you to reach a, a, a deeper state. Well, well, think about it like this. You know, it's it's one thing to be faced with, uh, you know, the the the, you know, savage, uh, uh, terrible sort of vicious uh, warrior, right? And it's quite another thing to have the the big savage vicious warrior on your side. <laughs> yeah, isn't that the truth? <laughs> and and it's sort of it's sort of the kind of thing where um, you know Kali's image is is very much something in which she, you know, kind of out demons the demons yeah. in a way. Um, she's able to overcome them because she is is more powerful than they are, even at their own game. Hmm. Um, and and yes, I think uh, you know the the let's talk about the the attributes that you see um, in in Kali's visual image. Um, the, I think the most evocative one, of course, is uh, is um, uh, in in two of her hands, in one hand she holds this kind of uh, strangely curved sword um, that's usually you know covered in blood, and and the the shape of the sword is actually it actually relates to a very specific kind of weapon that was used in 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 India in the Middle Ages um, that was specifically used for for executions. Oh wow! Uh, for 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 executing people by cutting off their heads. Wow! And and uh, and then in the other hand, there she holds this kind of severed head, bloody head, you know, mm-hmm. and and that is in in it in the most uh, uh, kind of bald faced way is is presenting to you this idea of of the removal of the ego, mm-hmm. uh, destruction of of the ego, um, the. The other attributes around her, I mean, one of the one of the interesting uh, ones that I've that I've seen before was that uh, oftentimes it's said that the number of skulls that she wears on the garland around her neck is 50. And that if if you were to really examine the skulls very closely, you would notice that each one of them has a letter of the Sanskrit alphabet on it and representing uh, the ability once one is beyond the ego, right? Because the skull is representing the ego that's passed away. That once one is beyond the ego, then these sort of elemental forces of the universe are uh, uh, are things that become accessible to you. Um, from that point, uh, you know there there are a number of other there are a number of other attributes uh, on her, and I think when you look at sort of the you know where she wears. Uh, all of the arms around her waist um, is kind of uh, talking about again. These are all of the these are all of the arms of the warriors who fought against her. Huh. Um, and 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 as she as she fights and defeats one demon after another, she takes their strength as her own, which is to say that she progressively brings the ego into a state of of being a tool that is controlled by her consciousness uh, rather than the other way around. You know, when you look at other warrior goddesses like Durga, it's, it's maybe not quite the same sort of thing, right? So Kali is sort of this very savage, uh, almost demonic looking 
uh, being with the crazy hair and and she's naked and 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 wearing uh, you know skulls and the severed heads and the blood and all that kind of stuff. It's a very savage appearance. You know, Durga is very is very different than that. Still a warrior goddess, but very um, you know well dressed and manicured and and has this very perfect, beautiful appearance. Um, and, and and they just represent different ways of approaching this process of bringing the ego under control. Um, and it's really going to end up depending on who you are and what it is that you need. You know, it's like some people need Kali. Mm. Um, they, they need that that savagery because they you know, there's no there's no other way for them to uh, to move past um, the the particular uh, issues that they are having, um, you know, and and Kali in her nature is just very very particularly good at going into the deep dark spaces uh, inside of inside of us and uh, and 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 digging stuff up, you know, mm. get getting into the places where there's stuff going on that you don't even know anything about. And this is a great explanation of why. Um, why she can be useful in our interpretation of our lives and our places in in the universe, you know? Absolutely, yeah. I mean, and, and you know, Kali is, a, is about death and destruction um, in the sense that death and destruction is a, a natural state um, a, a, of, of the way that things occur um, in, in this uh, reality of, of limited consciousness, right? So what we uncover through um, uh, through working with her is is a transcendence of that idea um, is a trans is a you know a, a realization of the truth that um, you know death is an illusion destruction is an illusion right none of those things really exist they only seem to exist because we don't understand what's happening um, you know the the 19th century saint uh, uh, Ramakrishna who was a great devotee of Kali and, and was kind of, I, I would say, the, the man who, who sort of, you know, was the origin of, of the contemporary spirituality surrounding Kali today. Um, he talked about Kali, uh, he talked about her demonic face as being a mask and, and that that mask was uh, this fearsome thing that people who didn't understand her would see this mask and and be terrified. Um, but for the people who uh, came to know Kali and to love Kali, then the mask would be removed and that underneath the mask, you would find the most beautiful face you'd ever seen. Oh. Right. And that was how he talked about Kali. That's why he like, you know, if you read any of, of, of the words that he would say about her, um, you know, he just talks about her as being, um, you know, the most the most beautiful uh, 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 concept that one could even imagine wow. uh, as existing. And that was how he related to to Kali. If one wants to know and to love Kali, one approaches her uh, from the the deep calmness of of the meditating Shiva, where where he he uh, uh, relates to her from this place of total passivity, and just allows um, her to manifest. 
You know, it's it's kind of like where you get into trouble with uh, with Kali's energy is is when you're fighting against it. Um, you know, when when you experience fear and you try to pull back um, or, or, or in some way you get, you know, something is happening that you feel like is beyond your control and you start to panic. Right. That's when things can go kind of haywire. That's why you don't necessarily engage too deeply in Kali practices um, without, uh, um, you know, doing without doing uh, proper preparation. One of the particular karmas that all women have uh, in any lifetime in which uh, uh, the soul incarn incarnates as a woman, um, which we all have done many times in the past, um, is that it, at, at that time, uh, women are the ones who incarnate uh, goddess energies uh, on, on the material plane. Um, uh, you know, men can work with goddess energies in one way or another, but women literally incarnate it um, uh, and, and, and actually exist as these goddesses. So, so that's something that, um, you know, as a woman, as you get deep into goddess spirituality, that you start to, to uncover um, the, the different uh, manifestations and facets of your, own, of your own goddess energy that are living inside of you. Um, and, and you have a very you have an immediate direct relationship with it because you see that uh, that immediate identification with your own uh, with your own energy with your own existence. Yeah, that's really cool. Uh, I, I I've definitely felt that with Durga, and mm -hmm. um, and you know on my altar now we've got um, I've got Lakshmi and and Saraswati and actually they're the two that we're going to be doing next time so we'll be investigating this goddess energy even a little bit more with the yeah. next interview indeed yes they're the two very complementary uh, types of energy yeah and in the meantime <laughs> i get to come to atlanta <laughs> yes but have you here in atlanta with us very soon I'm, I'm so excited oh i am i am totally excited there are so many people in the Atlanta Kirtan community that I know through Facebook or because I've met them at various festivals. And it will be so wonderful to just be there and, and see everybody in person and be able to give people a hug that I haven't seen in a long time. And right. I'm really looking forward to it. So it's March 6th through the 8th. And um, we're going to be live streaming it, which I'm excited about. That's right. And um, why don't you tell me a little bit about Chantlanta? Because out of all the festivals, I think it's really unique. Yeah, and I think it's it's something that kind of emerged in a very unique way, and um, and and we have uh, you know struggled uh, over the years with the idea of of maintaining that uniqueness, and I think we've been very successful uh, in a lot of ways. So I think the first and sort of most obvious aspect about it is that. Uh, Chantlana is a charity event, um, so we have uh, particular charity partners that we work with. Uh, for 2015, our charity partner is uh, uh, a group called The Learning Tea, which is involved in uh, providing college education to uh, girls in India who are from the untouchable caste, oh, wonderful. Uh, who would not normally be able to receive this kind of education. So... That's one of the purposes of Chantlana is to support charities. And its, per its second purpose is also to raise awareness about 
uh, chanting practices, you know, particularly within our area, um, which I would call the Southeast, because, um, you know, we, we get we get some people who come from outside the region, but it's generally speaking, it's a regional festival. Uh, and that's where we concentrate our promote promotion uh, for the most part. Um, and and we wanted to make it something in which uh, uh, nobody would have an excuse for not going. So uh, we're very we're very proud to say that um, going into our sixth sixth year uh, now, uh, Chantlana is still a free event. Oh uh, yeah, so, that's so cool. So the three day event is is entirely free to attend, and and we are you know what we are interested in having people do is we want them to take whatever money they feel like they can afford uh, and to put that money into the donation box. So it goes directly to the charity. And and we've worked it out with this festival so that we receive financial support, um, particularly from uh, from the local Atlanta community. And and that financial support through sponsorships and advertising uh, enables us to pay all of our overhead and, and run the festival um, so that money that people donate either uh, by putting cash into the cash boxes or by, uh, uh, you know, maybe purchasing uh, an item from our site, uh, uh, something from our silent auction, all of that money goes to the charity. Right. So we don't take any of the no percentage of the donations is taken out to pay for anything that had to do with actually putting the festival on. Um, so there's really a very direct transmission of energy um, into these charitable causes, which I think is part of what gives Chantlana its its sweetness, which I, I'm very excited for you to, to experience that energy um, that we've been creating. The other thing that makes it work is that everybody that is involved in Chantlana uh, does so on a volunteer basis. Um, and that means uh, uh, myself as the director of the festival for the past five years, um, everybody who's, or, you know, who's putting in time for the, through, throughout the entire year to organize the festival, uh, the volunteers who actually work at the event, the artists, uh, uh, the various musicians, uh, teachers, workshop presenters are all donating their time. So it's there's a there's a sense about it that that is like 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 you said just it's just a very unique thing, and and I found people uh, will just come up to me uh, during the festival and just shake my hand and just say I can't believe you're pulling this off, <laughs> um, and, and and it's you know and it it really it makes such a huge difference at the donation box um, just in terms of I think people are literally so kind of flabbergasted that so much is happening uh, and, and and they don't have to pay for any of it, that they are just digging in their pockets and pulling out whatever money they can find and stuffing it in the box. Wow. Um, and and so that has been a that's been a wonderful experience. I mean, this year we're having uh, I think, uh, let's see, we've got seven uh, different bands that are going to play. Uh, I think there will be 14 uh, workshops. <laughs> Um, you know, we'll, we'll have a vendor market, uh, food trucks, uh, the silent auction, of course. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's just, a, it's just a tremendous, uh, a tremendous event, a, a big event. Um, so yeah, wow. it's going to be cool, man. Oh man. I, I can't wait 
to come and experience this. Um, we did our own very small festival here this last November, yeah. and um, and it, it was a success. It was a success for our first yep. year, and and so we're. I don't know what what you do in Atlanta is inspiring, and um, I'd love to come and just see how it's done, and yep. maybe bring some ideas back. And I'm so I'm so pleased that we'll be able to live stream it so that others can hear. I heard Hugh Dost at, at Bhakti Fest. They're quite wonderful, and I hope they. Yeah. I mean, really, that Sufi dancer was a highlight for me. Yeah. I, 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 that was amazing to see a Sufi yep. dancer at Bhakti Fest, and. Um, I- and I, I hope, you know, on that, uh, you know, to play off what you just said, I really hope that that um, through, you know, a certain amount of exposure out into the world for Chantlana, even though we're never really going to to try to expand much beyond what we are now, because it would be hard to do that and still do what we do. Um, but I hope that it, it can be an inspiration to other folks who are, are thinking about and uh, you know how much they would love to have something like this in their community mm-hmm. and, and the idea that just from uh, a basic grassroots uh, uh, you know desire to have it you can create something big you know I mean we get uh, these days we get uh, you know around 800 to a thousand people Wow who attend and, and they come you know, certainly mostly from around the region, but uh, I've had people come from from pretty far because I just tell people like, hey, all you have to do is get yourself here and find a place to stay. You know, you don't have to buy a ticket. You can once you're here, you can do everything uh, without paying any extra money. You know, so it's it ends up being a, a pretty good deal. Well, you know, this has been really great. I, I can't wait to be there and see this. And, and thank you so much for being on again and explaining to us about Kali. It's always informative and interesting, and I really appreciate you taking the time. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. Thanks. Thanks for inviting me once again, Kitsy. Oh, it's a pleasure.
Sarvabhuteshu Shakti Rupena Sanstika Ya Devi Sarvabhuteshu Shakti Rupena Sanstika Namastasya 